بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد identity crisis because the Palestinian resistance and struggle relates also to identity. Identity because identity as it is defined with nation states, identity as defined by nation states is something relative because from over 100 years ago many of us would have been identified with different terms with different labels and 200 years prior we would be identified with different labels every 100 years or so the map changes and nation states which is more of a post-colonial concept reformulate themselves borders change governments change national identities change so identity as it is defined today in mass media in the western world in the high-tech north is something relative to time and place and which many Muslims have adopted those methods of identifying themselves incorrectly. So as Muslims, what identity do we take as international citizens of the world? What identity and how do we identify ourselves no matter where we may live or reside or our ethnic and racial backgrounds? How do we identify ourselves? Before delving into that, I would like to mention that identities today are something relative because over a hundred years ago, today where you have modern-day Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, occupied Palestine, Arabian Peninsula and Iraq was the Ottoman Caliphate and people living within those borders would have been defined as citizens of the Ottoman Caliphate. After the Ottoman Caliphate was formally deconstructed in 1924, nation states were placed on the map in, through the mark, uh, these, uh, the Sykes-Picot Agreement and the borders were changed and national identities were made. So people identified themselves as Syrians, as Lebanese, as Saudi, as Iraqi. And in the Indian subcontinent, prior to occupation, the people from that land would have been identified as citizens of the Mughal Empire. But post-colonization, nation-states were created that people identified themselves as Indian, 
even though the term Indian is incorrect because prior to the colonization the people were known as Hindu meaning anyone who lived in that region was known as a Hindu racially speaking but then the borders were made you had Western Pakistan made Eastern Pakistan made you had an unsettled issue of Kashmir which continues to this day and then later Eastern Pakistan unfortunately was separated from Western Pakistan and you had a new identity Bangladeshi so this confirms my statement that identities are always relative the identities that identification which people pr pride themselves on today tomorrow can change likewise within Britain today you have devolution there are people who identify themselves as Scots and not as British there are people who identify themselves as British and there are those people who identify themselves as Irish but tomorrow if Britain is divided you will have no identity as British so identity is something that is relative in modern culture but in Al-Islam how do we identify ourselves our identity must be universal our identity must be an objective reality something that is not relative like we identify ourselves as human beings for instance it's an objective reality even race in Islam where Al-Quran Al-Kareem where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention, mentions shu'ub and qaba'il the wisdom of having shu'ub and qaba'il qaba'il is tribes shu'ub is identities of uh, sub-branches of tribes and nations is why لِتَعَارَفُ only for identification only لِتَعَارَفُ but Al-Insan is a universal identity Al-Insan is something that is an ob objective reality something that does not change from person to person race can change someone may say how how many Ashraf descendants of the Prophet do we have in India? We have thousands. How many Ashraf descendants of the Prophet do we have in Sudan and in Africa? We have thousands. Racially, those Ashraf are identified today as Indians and Africans. Yet their origin is from Quraysh. This shows that a person can migrate to a region, marry amongst those people, and after a few generations, their facial features can change, and they fit amongst the dominant race or ethnic group of that region. So even race can change. If many of you check your genetical background and check your DNA, you will be surprised how much percent of other DNA you may find in your bloodstream so even race is something that can change with time and place so a person should never pride himself on a race or on a national identity because a national identity can be finished 
in from 1939 to 1945 you had the hapless state of hitler who was occupying austria and germany and france an unjust ruler how were people identifying themselves within those six years but today that thir the third reich no longer exists so people cannot identify themselves as such as nazi so identi identity through nation states is something relative identity through race is relative identity through tribe is relative identity through status and in england you have for instance a class division you have the concept of upper class middle class and working class in old times in the middle ages they referred to them as the peasants you had the landowners and the peasants these were relative identities in order to keep people in a div in divided keep society divided in today's day and age, the division is between the working class and the upper classes. Some people identify themselves through class division. But even class division is what? Relative. Because there are people who may become wealthy after earning millions. Their children are placed in private schools. And after a generation or two, they are no longer deemed as being working class. You may have people from the halls of power who after a few generations their wealth diminishes and they become of a part of what is known as the working class. So therefore even class division in Islam is not the way to identify yourself. In Islamic history there have been parts of the Muslim world where millionaires would live next door to people who I mean we have ashabun nisab people upon whom it is an obligation to give their zakatul amwal give zakat and you have people who take the zakat recipients both of whom would live in the same vicinity within the same neighborhood additionally education was not the sole property of any class of people education for instance Saeed bin Jubair rahimallahu ta'ala have you heard of Saeed bin Jubair a famous hadith scholar who died in his early 40s he was of African descent he looked like an African and he had African blood Atab bin Abi Rabah Rahimallahu ta'ala was African. There are so many narrators of hadith that had African descent, who were Africans. And this was so common in the Muslim Caliphate at its peak that at one point the Khalifa, Abbasi Khalifa, one of the Abbasi Caliphs, from the Abbasi lineage, from the lineage of Abdullah bin Abbas, the companion and cousin of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, regarding whom the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen, 
Allah give him understanding of the religion and teach him the correct interpretation of the Quran from that lineage the Caliph was compelled to go and learn from an African Alim and when he went the African Alim turned his back to the Caliph and faced the Qibla and said ask your questions and the Caliph was with his son and he asked him a few questions to which the African Alim gave the response the Caliph sweated from his forehead and he left and he, he admonished his son he said do not be like me seek knowledge otherwise you as a Khalifa would have to ask questions from an African who was a former slave a former slave so knowledge was not the property of any egalitarian or any group of people who had knowledge of their sole property unlike today's society where a specific group of people are sent to private schools they learn Latin where they learn Greek they learn classical literature receive a classical education enter into certain jobs which the people from the common classes would be unable to attain so our identity is not through class division also so the question is where do we attain our identity after knowing that we are must we are al-insan human beings which is common to all of humanity and that there is no division in terms of looking down on any nation or race or any gender how do we identi identify ourselves the response is that our, our identity is affirmed by as I said something an objective reality and something which is absolute that never changes with time or place so like I said al-insan is a real reality something that is a real an objective reality and is absolute what is that identity it is something summarized in the word submission to the divine creator what we refer to as al-ubudiyah which is the very meaning of al-islam which is submission to the divine creator submission to the divine creator that someone says you're al-insan but what is your absolute identity after al-islam is that you are a person uh, who submits to the divine creator this transcends nation states this transcends citizenship of any country this transcends time and place it transcends the 20th century or the 21st century and this brings us to what is known as what I was requested to deliver a lecture on it transcends time and place you can never fall into what is known as an identity crisis because you realize submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond time and place is beyond nation states
is beyond race, is beyond a particular family. It is something beyond even your physical body. Because the ruh is also submissive to Allah. And where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Alastu bi rabbikum. Am I not your Lord? What did the ruh respond with? Qalu bala. Of course. Meaning that is your identity, submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is recognizing that you are a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala under his divine command. The divine commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be divided into two categories. Those divine commands which relate to the world around us and everything beyond it, which, some, uh, which we will refer to al-kawniya or ontological reality and then you have that which is the divine commands the the commands allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us which we can categorize as deontological understanding our abudiya servitude to allah one relates to the universe around us and everything beyond it from our soul ruh to the universe and to the afterlife the metaphysical reality that which is ma that which goes beyond the physical realm understanding the divine commands relating to these things and the second is the divine commands of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what he has commanded us with in al-quranul kareem and the sunnah of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to the divine commands is understanding our identity and not falling into what is known as an identity crisis. In today's day and age, there are Muslims who lack confidence. The outward effects of that lack of confidence can have ramifications in school, in college, in university or in the workplace, or daily interactions with fellow Muslims and non-Muslims where a person demonstrates a lack of confidence in their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A lack, a lack of confidence in al-Islam, which is submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This sometimes can be expressed through opinions, where a person attempts to change the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why, why would they feel the need to change the religion of Allah because of a lack of confidence in their identity of submit, submitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Ubudiyya, servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it can be in the form of sometimes, like some people become surprised that when we drive, uh, me and my driver and the people who accompany me, we drive sometimes and the salah time enters, we stop on the side of the road or in, at a petrol station, we pray our salah. But some people find this surprising that a person would do this. Or it could be in the form of when in, in a non-Muslim audience, majority non-Muslim audience, people are asked, which one of you is a Muslim? And a Muslim feels no confidence in his Islam, 
and raising his hand to say and identify himself as a Muslim. It can be in the form of a Muslim youth, young girl, young woman, who in order to conform does not wear hijab in the appropriate manner. Lack of modesty. It can be a youngster, a youth, who conforms to wider society in order to fit in and abandons his salah or even abandons his faith. This is an identity crisis. But what is the... It can even be a person who claims to be an alim of the deen, a scholar of the religion, but changes the religion from its foundations in order to conform, in order to fit in. Like we have uh, this kafir mufti from Birmingham, he's a kafir, murtad, out the fold of Islam, gives verdicts to people in order to make the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala suitable for the time and place that he is living in, in order to appease the non-Muslims, in order to appease former Muslims. So what is the foundational problem is what I refer to as moral relativism, which is that their morality changes with the time and place. A natural act will always remain unnatural. They do not change with time and place. So homosexuality or pedophilia is unnatural. Condemned in Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Condemned in the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It doesn't change with time and place. Theft is always condemnable. Always bad. And this is a reality. But it doesn't change with time and place. Adultery is always forbidden. The ruling does not change with time and place. Imbibing alcohol, intoxicants, is always haram. Likewise, intoxicants and drugs and various other things. These things are absolutes. These absolutes do not change with time and place. But why do some people suffer from this identity crisis? Is because of a lack of confidence in Islam, in Admitting their submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what is the cause of the lack of confidence? The cause of the lack of confidence, or one of the main causes, <coughs> is al-jahl, ignorance. Ignorance of the divine Therefore, the cure to this problem is learning the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> learning the remedy which is learning Al-Quran Al-Kareem and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and not attempting to change the deen of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala now how does this problem relate to Palestine how this problem relates to Palestine is that when a person loses his identity, which identity? The identity of being a Muslim. 
the identity of realizing that your identity is submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when a person loses this they lose everything else <coughs> why do they lose everything else because all of the identities are relative so being for instance be, some people take pride in being Turkish or Pakistani but tomorrow if Turkey does not exist as a nation-state or if Pakistan does not exist as a nation-state then there is no struggle but even while there are nation-states you isolate yourselves if someone identifies himself first as an Egyptian as an Arab nationalist he isolates himself from the Muslim Ummah he's isolated but that identification is relative to time and place but as I mentioned the identification as a Muslim is absolute it is an objective reality it remains for all time and all places it even exists in Alam al-Arwah meaning it transcends even the physical realm so when a person has this identity as a Muslim the struggle and resistance like the struggle in Palestine is a firm struggle that no enemy can defeat but when you choose and adopt a relative identity which is the identity of nationalism that nationalism can change with time and place that identity and struggle can become a failure that can be a failure like if you say that the struggle today in Palestine is a nationalist struggle and not a struggle for al-Islam if you make it solely a nationalist struggle firstly nationalism is something relative a Palestinian can migrate from Palestine and move to another nation adopt a new identity as a Canadian as they want them to do and the struggle can finish but when you say that the struggle for one of the three holy sites of al-Islam is a struggle of al-Islam then this is a struggle which is beyond a locality and it becomes a universal struggle this is why today al-Islam is being attacked on two fronts one is the front of belief al-Iman those things which are al-ma'loom fi din bi known in religion by necessity like belief in Allah belief in the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam if this frontal attack is not successful the second attack is to make the sharia the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala something relative something secular something liberal that has no effectiveness and how you do this is by confusing the Muslim masses there are many contrivances of doing this one of them is moving the Muslims away from al-madhahib al-arba'a turning them away from the four schools another way is by placing these murtad type muftis within the Muslim community promote them in order that they remove the vigor from the Muslims they remove 
any strength, intellectual strength from within the Muslims and change the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making the Sharia something relative that can change when in reality there are those things which remain haram forever like Al-Qatl, murder is never permitted murder is never permitted except we know in jihad and in capital punishment where a person kills another person and is killed in retribution by the ruler by the hakim but if we say al-qatr never changes with time and place if someone is in a situation where their their life is threatened and the person threatening their life says to them you must kill another person in order that I do not kill you would that person now be permitted to kill that person the answer is no why because murder is something absolutely prohibited it can never be halal likewise zina fornication or adultery is a ruling that never changes with time and place so if someone threatens the life of another person saying if you do not perform zina i will kill you he's he is still not permitted to perform zina but there are a few things <coughs> that in the sharia we know that the person is permitted to do like what like eating a small amount of swine meat in order to stay alive if there is no other food likewise to utter kalimatul kufr a pronounced disbelief in order to safeguard his life if someone is actually killing going to kill him but disbelief in itself is not permitted likewise eating an entire swine and entire pig is not permitted but there are those things which are absolutes that never change with time and place but if you place doubt within people regarding the sharia of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you, you attempt to make the sharia seem like something which is rigid when it is not the sharia has enough enough <coughs> place that within certain times and places the rulings of sharia are applicable like some people make the claim that the sharia today is no longer applicable in in modern times this is false but these people will claim that the sharia is so rigid that it is no longer applicable which is totally incorrect so identity crisis and palestine these two things are so interlinked that we as young muslims living in the west and i would like to tell you it doesn't matter where you live because today we live in a globalized world there are people who are living in pakistan today who call for lgbt rights in pakistan they have a movement meri jism mera jism meri marzi which means my body my choice the pakistani government hasn't taken tough action on them like they have taken on uh, tlp tahreek al-baik pakistan they took strong action on tahreek al-baik for saying 
accusing Tahrik al-Bayk of rioting and other things, okay. But where is the strong action on this movement, Mera Jism, Meri Marzi? My body, my choice. Now, when I say strong action, it doesn't entail killing them. You, capital punishment is a serious thing in Islam. It entails taking viable actions against such groups that are violating the basic rules of Al-Islam. Because on the Pakistani repeat, they have written Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Even though this is a contradiction, because you cannot have a republic and Islam. Two contradicting terms. You cannot have Islamic and republic at the same time. So, when people say uh, we are worse off in England, this is incorrect. This is totally incorrect. There are people today in the Madaris in Pakistan that violate the basic hukuk of children. Like homosexuality and pedophilia is so rampant in those madaris that it reaches us as mutawatir, as tawatur, mutawatir, that pedophilia occurs in those madaris in Pakistan. Yet, no had punishment is being taken. Why is that occurring? Because you are not applying the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the woman who was raped on the side of a road in a motorway in Pakistan, the Sharia is what? That those men should be crucified. Now some of the Muftis gave incorrect responses. They said, uh, this is an incorrect response. They say for rape, and uh, Mulana Kaleem and Mulana Hussein are here to correct me if I am wrong. They said that the law of rape, only the had applies. So if the youngster who rapes, only one, uh, 100 lashes only apply. This is incorrect. Because rape falls under brigandry. And brigandry, the highest level of brigandry is capital punishment. Because they raped and they robbed the woman on the road, therefore they should have been, the capital punishment applies. But the Pakistani government is not applying capital punishment. They are doing chemical castration. And then the ulama was so off mark that they said, oh, only had applies, meaning which is what they are not married, therefore only the lashes apply. So people think the Sharia law is ineffective. The correct fatwa is that if someone rapes, they fall under brigandry. In the Quran, it's mentioned Al Muharaba, which is warfare against the state, that if people rape, it doesn't fall under common zina. Common zina is when it's con uh, cons uh, consenting between two people, it falls under brigandry. So they are not applying Sharia law, and then what happens, you have these atheists who leave Islam, and then they condemn ulama. They say, look, in your madrasas in Pakistan, there is pedophilia, and you people are condemning uh, this movement, Mera Jism, Meri Marzi, and you are hypocrites. But this is imbalance. The, the Pakistani government should be applying Sharia law correctly and the ulama should be speaking up against those habits of those uh, perverted people in those madaris. In fact, the madaris should be closed and not made into boarding schools for children. 
They should have the madaris as only as schools where the children go to learn and they leave. There are young people who went from the UK to those madaris and witnessed those type of acts occurring. So, moral relativism, which is saying that morality is only relative to society, some of these people are part of this movement, Mera Jisameri Marzi. They said, oh, why don't your ulama condemn the pedophilia occurring in order to validate their own behavior? Well, even if we condemn it, when we do condemn it, does that mean you will desist? The answer is no. In fact, we will condemn both. The condemnation is in both. But going back to the original point, which is that today we live in a global society. There is no khilafa, there is no caliphate. So whether you live in India, whether you live in China, whether you live in Pakistan, whether you live in the United States of America, whether you live in the UK, your international identity is Muslim. A Muslim who carries a British passport, a Muslim who was born in Britain. In this sense, I am British, but being British is relative. Being British is relative. If people are from America, being American is what? Relative. Being Chinese is relative. Being Indian is relative. But the absolute identity is Al-Islam. And absolute morality is in Al-Islam. Al-Islam doesn't change with the government. So in China today, we have a communist government that imposes certain dictates of communism upon the people. Does that mean now that Chinese Muslims change their ethics, the Uyghur Muslims change their ethics in accordance with what the communist government demands of them? The answer is no, there are certain absolutes that do not change with time and place. There are certain absolutes that do not change in time and place. Likewise, many of you at attend school. You attend college, you attend university, you attend the workplace. When you are questioned regarding certain things, there are absolute morals that you do not change with time and place. The response to this is then that you Muslims are homophobic. The answer is no, because phobia is when someone has intolerance to an a person for being a human being. Our intolerance is to the action that, for instance, there is an alcoholic. The alcoholic as a human being, we have respect for him as a human being. In the sense, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Bani Adam, all of Bani Adam, a certain karama. That's why, for instance, we are not permitted to use the skin of human beings for tanning. You cannot have human leather in your car seats. Why? Because human skin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given karama to all humans. This certain type of karama. You cannot use the bones of human beings for a watch chain, for instance. So this alcoholic has a certain karama. But when he drinks alcohol, he is falling into masiya. Now, he falls into ma'asiyah as a Muslim, not a non-Muslim. As a Muslim, we despise the action. We despise the action. So a Muslim 
who carries out the homosexual act, we despise the action. We do not despise the person. We attempt to reason with him. We attempt to rationalize or reason. Reason is a better word. We attempt to reason with him that this action is impermissible in the Quran and the Sunnah. There is a non-Muslim. That non-Muslim, if he does the same action, firstly, he's not mukallaf. In the Hanafi school, he's not mukallaf of the Sharia. Yes, in the Shafi'i school, he is. Is that correct? Yes. So now we do not. Uh, firstly, we do not address him with regard to ahkam. What do we address him with? Submitting to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Then he will say, "Why should I submit to Allah?" If your Allah has prohibited alcohol, your Allah has prohibited homosexuality and zina, and then we go into the reasoning behind the prohibition of these rulings. What is the reasoning? Why are these things prohibited? We go into the definition of what is natural, what is unnatural. We go into the definition of why alcohol is prohibited, because when a person becomes intoxicated, they lose their mind, they become like animals. So these prohibitions are to protect us. We go into the reasoning behind all the Sharia law. But when you are in school and you are addressed by regarding LGBT, this is what you should say. You should say, and you should say, firstly, we tolerate all human beings. We tolerate their beliefs. We tolerate their lifestyle. But we have our own positions. Toleration is one thing. We tolerate all human beings. We tolerate their lifestyles. But we have our own absolute morals. What are those absolute morals? That we as Muslims cannot carry out certain things. We cannot perform certain things. Those things are prohibited by Islam, by our religion. And then you must be able to reason with your teacher and with your uh, tutor in school as to why those absolute morals exist. Remember, articulation is the key. After confidence, what did I say? What is the method of confidence? Gaining knowledge. And then articulation is the second. Be articulate. Learn articulation in your classroom. Many times in the 90s when I went and attended school, I was kicked out of my RS class many times. I would reference the Bible to the teacher. I would reference and give logical arguments from books of philosophy. And when the teacher was unable to respond, they would remove me from the class. But they would not remove me for bad behavior. They would remove me because they were unable to counter the reasoning. And this is how Muslims should be internationally. Meaning, not only in the UK. I mentioned this to people who are a part of TLP, Tahrik al Labaik. I mentioned this to people who are a part of Dawat Islami. I, uh, I mentioned this to people who are in Sunni Dawat Islami. I mentioned this to people who are in the various Turuk Sufi orders. I mentioned this to all the various Muslim groups who I have communication with, that we should be able to articulate and reason with non-Muslims. So this group, Mary Maria, 
to debate them, to have hiwar, dialogue with them, to be able to demonstrate the illogicality, the lack of reasoning in their arguments, instead of an emotive response. There should be a cerebral response to all of this uh, movement of neoliberalism or moral relativism which has taken the by ourselves as Muslims, international citizens of the world, well, to respond to the ills of society. Why Islam prohibits cannabis? Why Islam prohibits alcohol? Why Islam prohibits adultery? Why Islam prohibits homosexuality? Why Islam is opposed to this, the ills of society in exploitation? When, meaning there are people who exploit situations of the poor. Why Islam opposes different ideologies? There are, it's a fard kifaya and the ulama to counter all these arguments. And if they do not, then many Muslims fall into identity crisis. And what happens with the identity crisis? You either have people who openly leave Islam, or you will have people who do not leave the fold of Islam, but attempt to change Islam within, because they themselves are not intellectually satisfied with Islam as it is. They are not confident in their own Islam. So what they do is they attempt to change the rulings of Islam by permitting everything until it loses its efficacy, its effectiveness in society. And this affects the struggle in places like Palestine today. That if the Muslims of Palestine did not have strength of Iman, did not have confidence in Al-Islam, they will never defend Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Sharif the way they are. If Muslims lose their identity as Muslims, their confidence in their Islam, then they will never be able to resist any power. And as Sheikh Abdul Rahman Hassan Habannaka Rahimallah Ta'ala stated, that if Al-Islam was a man-made ideology, like any other ideology, then it would have finished by today because the number of conspiracies and wars that are waged against it. If you only count the past 121 years, how many times has war been waged against Islam? Sometimes under the guise of the war on terror. Sometimes uh, with other labels. From the early 1900s until today. Yet Al-Islam is still flourishing. Islam will continue to flourish. This is why that when some people say the state of the Ummah is bad, I disagree sometimes with these type of sentiments. The state of Al-Islam is that Al-Islam is always flourishing. Despite the weakness of some Muslims. But At-Ta'ifatul Mansura, the supported group shall remain till the end of times. That in the Hadith, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam foretold that this group of people who will be in Asham, greater Syria, which is the Mujahideen in Asham, in Palestine, they shall continue fighting until the last group of them shall be the group that shall destroy a Dajjal. 
with Isa alayhi salam. Alongside with Isa alayhi salam, they shall kill a Dajjal. So the group that we witness today, Ta'ifatul Mansura, this group will continue. And the hadith states, La yadurruhum man yakhzuluhum. Those who betray them will never harm them in the least. So we as Muslims, how do we support them? And how do we maintain this confidence? As I said, we must maintain our confidence in Al-Iman, strength of Al-Iman, and strength of our identity, which is the identity of Muslim, the one who submits to the will of Allah. I mentioned earlier Sa'id bin Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala. Sa'id bin Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala, was a hadith narrator, and he upset one of the governors in the time of the Banu Umayyah, whose name was Hajjaj bin Yusuf, a famous tyrant who killed over 70,000. And they say the day he died, over 70,000 people were released from prisons. But they say he killed more than 70,000. Similar to Bashar al-Assad and other tyrants that we have today, Sa'id bin Jubayr fell into some political conflict with this tyrant. So, Hajjad bin Yusuf demanded the arrest of Sa'id bin Jubayr. So he dispatched some soldiers to arrest Sa'id bin Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala. When they went to the house of Sa'id bin Jubayr, they knocked the door. They said, you have been summoned. He said, summoned by whom? They said, Hajjad bin Yusuf. This story is in Hilyatul Awliya of Abu Nu'aym al-Asfahani. It's also in Siyaru Alam al-Nubala of Imam al-Zahabi. You'll find it wherever you check the biography of Sa'id bin Jubayr, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said, must I come? They said, yes, you've been summoned. So he left with them. They tied him. And when they left, on the way, night fell. When night fell, they were near a monastery where a monk resided. So Sa'id bin Jubayr rahimullah ta'ala refused to go into the house of a monk because he's a kafir. The soldiers, they demanded that he go in. He said, no, it's the residence of a kafir. Of course, in today's day and age, people would say he's a Rizwi extremist. This is how people label Muslims who have more taqwa. Oh, he's a Rizwi extremist. But if that's his fatwa he follows, do not condemn him for doing so. If that's the correct fatwa according to some of the ulama, let him follow that fatwa. So they went into their, meaning today, in today's day and age, people would say, Sa'id bin Jubair is extreme. Waliyadu billah. Even though the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Al-Muslimu wal-Kafiru la tatara'a narahuma. Which has its application. But nevertheless, Sa'id bin Jubair, Rahimallah ta'ala, they said, okay, we will tie you to a tree. So they tied him to the tree. 
and they went into the monastery. The monk, now just a clarification, you can have four rulings in the four madhabs. So Sa'id bin Jubair took one ruling, there may be other fuqaha who take the other ruling. So you do not condemn them also. So the monk said, this man you have left outside, it is dangerous that you have left him because there are wild predators. Sins do not exist, even though they say if a lion is released in Egypt, it will not last 40 days except that it will die. They say this because of the story of Yusuf and the lack of real men in Egypt. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. Ibn Jubair through the window at night. The ropes untied themselves. Prayed his salah and then tied himself by loosely placing the ropes around himself against the tree. Then a wild cat, a lion upharming him in the least. From this khariqul ada, what is khariqul ada? Violating the norms, a miracle. They realize this man is someone who has reached maqam al-ubudiyah. The station of what? They went to him after the cat had left the wild cat in the morning. And they said, forgive us for arresting you and tying you to this tree and taking you to Hajjaj, but we are compelled. If we do not do so, he is a tyrant. He may kill us and our families. So Sa'id bin Jubayr said, carry out what you have been instructed to do. So they took Sa'id bin Jubayr Rahimallah ta'ala to Hajjaj bin Yusuf. Now when he reached Hajjaj bin Yusuf, the point of mentioning this story to you is that Sa'id bin Jubair represented the person who realized his maqam al-ubudiyah, his station of servitude. He personified Al-Ubudiyah. Hajjad bin Yusuf said to him, What is your name? Knowing his name, he knew who he was. He said, Sa'id bin Jubair. Now, Sa'id bin Jubair means the happy one, son of the one who is fixed. Jubair. So, Hajjaj deformed the name. He said, You are Shaqi bin Kusair which is the wretched one, son of the broken one. Now how would one of us respond to this? Said bin Jubayr said, my mother knows best what she named me. The best response, meaning my mother knows better than you, what she named me. So like this, a conversation transpired between Hajjaj bin Yusuf and Said bin Jubayr. One of the questions he asked him, he said, Who is more afdal? Is Sayyiduna Ali more afdal or Abu Bakr Siddiq? Meaning this afdaliya issue wasn't running from today. It was run, Hajjaj bin Yusuf was obsessed with this issue also. It's like Abdul Rahman bin al rahimallah. he was asked by a man in the audience, Who is afdal? Abu Bakr Siddiq or Ali radiallahu an, radiallahu anhumah. He said, you are afdal. To 
to, you are not involving yourself in that which is more important. So, Hajjaj said, meaning Aftaliyah relates to Kathratul Thawab. And the one who has Ilmul Ghaib, meaning Allah knows. The reason why Hajjaj was asking this was to cause trouble. Because he was from Bani Umayyah. Meaning working under Bani Sayyiduna. He said, is Ali in hellfire or not? Waliyadu Billah. Sa'id bin Jubair, what type of response did he give? He said, if I went into hell and had a look, I would let you know. Look at the intelligence. Because Hajjaj was a Nasibi, a person who despised Al-Imam Ali radiallahu an and his Ahlul Bayt. But look at the response of Sa'id bin Jubair. So like this, the conversation continued. So at the end, Hajjaj became annoyed. And he said, take him away and kill him. So they took Sa'id bin Jubair away and Sa'id bin Jubair laughed out aloud. He said, bring him back. He said, why are you laughing? He said, because of your behavior and your, how daring you are with Allah. He said, kill him here. So he, com- he ordered that a lead cut off his head here. So Sa'id bin Jubayr rahimullah ta'ala prayed dan takbir. There are many benefits of this. One is that there is a qawl. There are two positions. One is when you start seeing the angel of death, taklif doesn't stop according to one position. Taklif meaning you still receive reward if you see the angel of death. One group of ulama say, no, the reward stops. Qibla Allahu Akbar die in salah. Second benefit of wudu, they state the one who stays in wudu all the time, this is qa'ida kulliya with some exceptions. A rule with some exceptions. The hakim, the government can never touch you. They can never touch you. But here, Sa'id bin Jubair was martyred. But he did takbir and he prayed. So what happened? Hajjad bin Yusuf did not like this. So he said, turn him towards the other direction. So the soldiers forced him in the other direction. Sa'id bin Jubair recited that aloud. وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشَارِقُ وَالْمَغَارِبُ For Allah is the East and the West. So he fell into prostration and Hajjaj bin Yusuf's soldier decapitated the head of Sa'id bin Jubair. And this was one of the times where someone dead recited Al-Quran Al-Kareem. This happened with Sayyiduna Al-Imam Al-Husayn radiallahu anhu and it also happened with Sa'id bin Jubair. After this, <coughs> this personification was the personification of Ubudiyah. Look at the answers Sa'id bin Jubair gave to Hajjad bin Yusuf. Instead of acquiescing to his demands, he had intelligence, confidence in his Iman, confidence in his identity as a Muslim. And then 
Hajjaj bin Yusuf was not able to martyr or kill anyone after this day. Even though he had killed over 70,000 people, he was unable to martyr or kill anyone after this day. What occurred after? He saw dreams of Sa'id bin Jubair, rahimahullah ta'ala, pulling his legs. And he would scream out at night, Mali was Sa'id bin Jubair. What is it with me and Sa'id bin Jubair? So then, the doctors came and checked. They placed a piece of meat on a string and they placed that in the throat of, uh, of Hajjaj. This was a way of checking internal bleeding in those times. And they removed, they placed the piece of meat into the depths of his bowel and then extracted the piece of meat and they saw that the piece of meat was covered in blood, entailing that he was dying from internal bleeding. And then Hajjaj bin Yusuf died. So Sa'id bin Jubair was victorious because like previously Abdullah bin Az-Zubair radiallahu anhuma was martyred by Hajjaj bin Yusuf and the daughter of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an Asma bint Abi Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhuma said to Hajjaj bin Yusuf that you may have taken away his dunya but he has taken away your akhirah. You have taken away his world, but he has taken away your hereafter. When he was martyred and crucified. So, identity of being a Muslim as a Muslim who submits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala interlinks with the struggle of Palestine today. Once, one of the companions of Imam Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i rahimallahu ta'ala went to a town to visit one of the awliyaullahi salihin the pious friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he went to his home he intended to perform wudu ablution the wali said to him to perform ablution you must go out the home past the courtyard and you will find the well where you can extract water and perform ablution. So the man, he was a faqir, a major jurist. He left the house. He found that there was a wild cat, a lion waiting. So he ran back into the house and he informed his host. He said there is a wild cat. So the host left the house and shouted to the wild cat. He said, how many times have I told you not to disturb my guests? And the wild cat went away. This is possible. It's kharqul ada, violation of the norms, karamat, which some Wahhabis may deny. They call this fairy tales, but it's a reality. The wali went back into the home and he said to the faqih, the jurist, that qawwamtum al-zahir wa al-khalq You straightened your outward but yet you are afraid of creation. 
قومنا الباطن ويخاف منا الخلق that we straightened our inward and the creation is frightened of us this is someone personifying al-ubudiyah lillah this is someone personifying the personality of Sa'id bin Jubair and it is only with these type of personalities that we will have victory in Al-Quds Sharif so when people today say Sufism is abandoning politics Sufism is avoiding entering the struggle Sufism is avoiding the jihad of the Palestinians, Sufism is pacifism. This is incorrect. Such Sufis are agents of a Dajjal. Such Sufis are agents of the Zionists because they forget that Nuruddin Zengi was a Sufi. They forget Salahuddin was a Sufi. They forget Muhammad al Fatih was a Sufi. Correct Sufism is when you know your identity as a Muslim. You adopt your, you have strong faith, strong iman, and you adopt the moral absolute of the Quran, of the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is why Muslims today must have strong identity, realize their true identity, which is ubudiyah, servitude to Allah. And there is much more to be said regarding this, which I have stated many other things in the past. And inshallah, if Allah gives me life to continue to do so, أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم واتوب إليه. Inshallah, we will open up for questions and answers. You should host the questions. Gee, any questions? Please do not be embarrassed. Inshallah, Allah bless you all. Uh, the Sheikh is here, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. I think one question that I want to start off with, inshallah, is that um, Alhamdulillah through the past, for through many years we have um, collectively the Muslim um, has lent financial support, uh, much financial support to the Palestinian cause and to our brothers in Gaza and Palestine. Is that the only thing that we can do or is there anything more effective, more uh, beneficial for them that we can do to support, inshallah? Firstly, the most effective thing we can do is dua. Generally, <clears throat> there are some people who do not find that response satisfactory because it's something that is not material. So they believe participating in demonstrations, waving flags and shouting is more effective. Without condemning those people, I would say that dua is more effective that when we as Muslims are performing Qiyamul Layl, when we perform Tahajjud, when we perform Awwabin, we abandon that which is Haram. That is more effective. In the time of Al-Malik Babers, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, one of the ulama informed Al-Malik Babers that your army is carrying out those things which are haram. How do you expect to have victory 
when your army is doing haram. So Al-Malik Baybars rahimahullah ta'ala commanded his army to give back those things which they had wrongly dispossessed the public of, like gold jewelry for instance. They redistributed the wealth amongst the public and then they went to meet the Mongol armies which were invading Syria at the time. The Mongol hordes had invaded Baghdad and they were entering Syria. And then Al-Malik Babers was able to defeat them. Likewise, Nurdin Zengi rahimullah, when he wrote letters to the people of the army on the borders, he said that it has reached me that you carry out certain games. They were playing games, amusement. And this has grieved me. You must repent of this. So the soldier, the general or the, the soldier who was in charge of that particular border post, he responded by saying we are playing what we refer to as polo, which is in fact a Muslim game. Polo is not a game of the English upper classes. They took this from Afghanistan. He said we play this because if we become inactive on the borders, the soldiers will not have any training. This is to keep up the jihad training. So Nurdin Zengi rahimullah permitted this. The point being that he would have been grieved if they were doing any haram. Amusements which have no benefit. So the greatest victory we can have is abandoning the muharramat. Abandoning immodesty, acts of immodesty, nakedness, zina, alcohol, music, muharramat. When we as an ummah abandon these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us victory in the battlefield even if we are only 12,000 people. Yes, there is, there is proof for this, that if there are 12,000 Muslims, they can never be defeated but with a condition that the army of 12,000 do not carry out muharramat outwardly and inwardly so it's not about numbers it's 12,000 people 12,000 Muslims can defeat the Zionist occupation do not think this is in a difficult task Beautiful piece of advice. G from the audience, inshallah. G, Suhaim, inshallah. Uh, in short, how we combat this is that firstly we have the expanding universe, but th what they refer to as the great, the, you have the Big Bang, but then you have the opposite, which is the great implosion. So the great crunch that shall occur. When the crunch occurs, that is the dissipation of energy. And I also believe that thermodynamics disproves this.
شورٹ جی ماشاء اللہ آئی تھنک جسٹ آن دا پوائنٹ یو میڈ بیوٹیفل پوائنٹس ماشاء اللہ آن تصوف صوفیزم اینڈ ہاؤ یو مینشن دیٹ دی کانکویسٹ آف جروسم ول ہیپن ان دا پاسٹ اینڈ ول ہیپن ایٹ دا ہینڈس آف دوز ہو پیوریفائی دم سیلس آؤٹ ولی اینڈ ان ولی سو آئی تھنک ان شارٹ اف یو کڈ الیبریٹ آن واٹ دس تصوف اینڈ ٹیل واٹ از صوفیزم بیکاز دیز اے لاف مسکنسپشنس اراؤنڈ دس اینڈ آلسو اف یو کڈ آئی تھنک ٹیل دی آڈینس اباؤٹ دی Sufic background of Sultan Salahuddin Ayyubi radiyallahu ta'ala and I think inshallah. Real Sufism is different to the cults that you have today. Today you have cults where people, uh, they make murids. It becomes a source of income. People wear uniforms. Even though Al-Imam Ibn Hajar Makki says uniforms is a bid'ah. Al-Imam Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani says uniforms is a bid'ah. Bid'ah munkara. And they also expand the definition of bid'ah hasana so wide that everything is permitted. Yes? That bid'ah hasana, everything is bid'ah hasana. So real Sufism today is only found in a very small group of people. Real Sufism. Like, someone may say this is harsh, but it's a reality. Like real Hanafis or people who follow the fiqh or who know the fiqh, They are only a few people. The rest fall into awam, the common people. But the real Sufis are the people like the Abdal in Syria that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said in the hadith of Umm Salma radiallahu anha that the Abdal of Sham will recognize Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. These are real awliya Allah, al-Saliheen. So my advice to younger people, do not get embroiled with groups. You do not need to be a part of a cult in order to be a Sunni Muslim. The wider Sunni identity is sufficient. That you are Sunni, Hanafi, Maturidi, how many more labels do you want? Sunni identity is general. Take from all Sunni ulama. Attend the majalis of all Sunni ulama. Do not say, uh, I only attend the majalis of my shaykh. My, anyone who says this, only attend the majalis of your Sufi shaykh. They are a cult. You should avoid them. Additionally, staying awake all night in the masjid is not Sufism. Sufism is when you go home, the way you kiss the hand, these people, they kiss the hand of their shaykh. Do you kiss your father's hand? Do they teach you to respect your parents? So, firstly, what they learn in these groups is you kiss the hand of Peer Sahib. But the fard is first to kiss the hand of your father. Kiss the feet of your mother. That's the first fard. A Sayyid Muhammad bin Alawi, rahimullah, he said, if your Sufi guide tells you to pick up something and your father says, do not pick it up, the fard is to follow the father in those things which are all Mubah. In those things which are Mubah. So Sufism today is not found in these groups. Where it is found is that are you attending your Fajr prayer in Jama'ah in congregation? Are you praying your five daily prayers? Are you respecting your parents? If you do, 
so many of these people in the Sufi groups ask them, uh, do you know your arkan of Salatul Janaza? They won't be able to tell you. But they will say, I'm doing Suluk. Ask them, do you know your Dua Qunut? You know Dua Qunut in Witr. What is it? Allahumma inna nasta'inu wa So many of these people, they join these cults. The cult will emphasize uniform. Some of them wear English clothes so much. They spend so much. I know of cases people spend 700, 800 on, on clothes just to fit in conformity. They all have their own ailments. What I promote is Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Then within Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, you have awliya of Allah. If you find one of those awliya, you attach yourself to him. But a real wali will not be the leader of a cult. A real wali, the big awliya that I met, like a Sayyid Ahmad al-Habbal, Rahimullah, a Sayyid Abbas bin Alawi, a Sayyid Abbas, exactly what I am saying to you is exactly what he said to me. And he said his father, Sayyid Alawi, had the same position. He said the turuq that we have today, when they give bay'ah, it's bay'ah baraka. The ones that are valid is baraka. And Al-Azrat Al-Imam Ahmed Khan says something similar in Fatawa Afrika. Is that not the case? Yes. Something similar if you read the fatwa. Those that have the four conditions. But so many of the turuq in the UK do not have even the four conditions. In the UK, uh, they do not even fulfill the four conditions. Then you have other extreme groups like in uh, Pakistan. Someone recently said there was a group that does tawaf of a grave and sa'i between uh, uh, replacing hajj. That's extreme. But then you have people who have, are more subtle. They may outwardly follow sharia. But when you enter the group, they tell you, do not go to such and such gathering. Do not go to that gathering. Only stick to your own sheikh. Only stick to your own group. You must wear this uniform. You must behave in this way. This is not Sufism. This is a, a, a mental illness of the leader. A psychopathy of controlling people. So, the real Sufism is today when you go home, uh, will your nafs allow you to kiss the feet of your mother? Will your nafs allow you to kiss the hand of your father? Tomorrow morning will you wake up for Fajr prayer and pray Fajr Salah in the masjid? That is Sufism. If you achieve that much, then I will say you're on the Sufi path. That is the correct Sufi path. If all these Sufi groups were real Sufism, then how big should the Fajr Jamaat be? But ask the Imam, how many people are coming to Fajr Salah? You go to majority of the Masajid, they only have a few people, old people praying Fajr Salah. And then the Sufi groups, they have hundreds of murids. Where are all the murids for Fajr Salah? These are realities that these groups need to wake up to. Assalamu alaikum. I think uh, just a question, Sheikh, uh, talking about Sufism, just get your nafs. You mentioned there's a rarity of shuyukh uh, or spiritual guides. Uh, Imam Shari mentioned from his age. How, as a youngster uh, being brought up in this country, how can he purify himself, recognize his, the disease of the heart? Um, 
any cult. What is the way forward without joining, as you said, any cults? The way forward for that is firstly, Suhba, company of all righteous ulama. Not one righteous ulama. But identifying, if you read, for instance, with the teacher, Al-Imam Ahmad Rida Khan's fatwa on tasawwuf, he lists in that fatwa 40 diseases of the heart. Yes? 40 diseases of the heart are like Al-Hiqt, internal hatred, Al-Kibr, arrogance, uh, Al-Hasad, envy, over 40 diseases of the heart. A question, learning these diseases of the heart and their cure, is it tasawwuf or is it al-fiqh? Which one is it? Is it tasawwuf or al-fiqh? What is it? Tasawwuf. The answer is, it is al-fiqh. This is something overlooked by so many people. Al-fiqh relates to the outward actions and the inward actions. So Al-Imam Ibn Hajar Makki, Rahimallah Ta'ala, in his book Al-Zawajir, he states that the inner sin is worse than the outward sin. Because the outward sin, a man drinks alcohol, He's drunk for a few hours, he goes to sleep, he reaches sobriety. The sin is written down for let's say 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours. But a man has takabbur, he walks around with takabbur in the heart. The angels keep writing down takabbur, sin. He has hasad, they keep writing down the hasad. He has ghurur, deceives himself, they write on the ghurur. Like this, Al-Imam Ahmad Khan mentions 40 sins of the heart. Learning those 40 plus sins of the heart and their cure is nothing to do with tasawuf, it's to do with fiqh. It's to do with what? Fiqh. The way it's fard to learn wudu, it's fard to learn those sins. So what you do is you find an alim, who can go over with you the, the 40 sins of the heart. There are a few texts written on this. They tell you the symptoms, the cure. The symptom, the cure. The person acts on it himself. Because if you, this practice of bay'ah, you go and give bay'ah, and your sheikh lives in another country, or even if he lives local, how is that bay'ah now going to purify you from your sins? It won't. You have to act on it yourself. Like waking up for Fajr, you have to wake up yourself. Likewise, inward removal of those sins, you have to do this yourself. What is tasawwuf then? People then ask, okay, if that's not tasawwuf, what is tasawwuf? Tasawwuf is beyond this. Tasawwuf is when a person has removed all those internal illnesses, and is consistent on the outward and the inward sharia, what happens? The illumination of the heart occurs. The right Sufi guide then guides this person in what is known as maratibu suluk. 
that is maratib al-suluk that is the station that way when a shaykh abdul qadir al-jilani radiyallahu anhu he was doing ibadah and shaitan came in the form of light and he said i have dropped all ibadah from you and a shaykh abdul qadir al-jilani knew that this was the shaitan and he, he recited out la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah now al-imam abdul qadir al-jilani at that stage was acting on the inward and the in, outward of the sharia and he had a sufi guide by which when they say man la shaykha lahu fa shaytanun shaykhuhu applies to those salikin because at that point they can be misguided but it does not refer to the common man who doesn't know the outward and the inward of the sharia and then he joins a sufi cult and they make him dance around some of them do excessive qawali uh, in public some of them tie jung- jingles around their legs some of them do sajda to qubur do not deny this happens because in data darbar it happens people do sajda they kiss the graves it's something reaches to tawatur they do excessiveness that's not tasawuf tasawuf is when a person acts on the outward and the inward of the sharia is consistent his heart will be illuminated now he goes through the maratib of suluk he needs a sufi guide this person will find his shaykh allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will lead him to the valid shaykh but prior to reaching that stage every person should learn the outward and the inward fiqh talabul ilm seek knowledge with the ulama and when i say with the ulama your local ulama you read whatever needs to be read to them and you, then you remove the outward and the inward thinking that you'll give bayah to a sheikh you'll start praying fajr is false you need your own will power your own will power now there is a few additional wasawis some people have some of them think if i don't give bayah to a sheikh on the day of judgment when i am in trouble no one will save me this is incorrect because the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said shafa'ati li ahli al-kaba'ir min ummati my intercession is for the people of major sins from my nation so you have the guarantee of the shafa'a of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam sidi ahmad zarruq and al-imam abdul wahab al-sha'rani they state regarding the false sheikhs that they the false sheikh while he is alive promises his murids that he will give them salvation this is incorrect the false sheikh does this the second thing al-imam abdul wahab al-sha'rani says is that the false sheikh makes his murids like slaves ta'bid an-nas that they cannot move in front of him this is a sign of a false sheikh also a third sign al-imam abdul wahab al-sha'rani mentions the false sheikh is obsessed with clothing the outward appearance there are so many go uh, for the ulama that i would advise uh, al-imam abdul wahab al-sha'rani says everything i am saying al-imam ahmad zarruq says everything i am saying they mention all this even data hajwari in his book which is kashful mahjub he says similar types of things so for the lay people they must learn their fiqh outward and inward and their correct aqeedah and do not delude yourselves into thinking you are salikin and you're not praying fajr in jamaa consistently pardon
Slot, slot. 